Good morning, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We are so blessed and happy that you're here with us today. So if you're able, go ahead and stand with us as we start to worship the Lord. Bill is going to lead us in the lion and the lamb. morning. How is everybody? We are so thankful to be here and just excited to do these songs for you and with you because you're going to sing with us because you're going to make us sound really good.
up some more praise for our Lord.
while we're all standing, why don't you turn to the person next to you and behind you and in front of you and wish them God's love. And So once we're all seated, uh, why don't you turn your direction to the video. We're going to receive an update on what's going on at LJCC. Community Church. We're so happy you came to worship with us today. My name is Janet Griffith. I am on staff as an office assistant. My goal today is to tell you a little bit more about who we are and how we can help you in your walk with Christ. At LJCC, we exist to equip everyday people to walk with Jesus every day. We want to come alongside you on your faith journey. And one of the ways we are, want to do that is through prayer. You may have received a bulletin on your way into the door today. If you open that now, you'll see that there is a prayer and connect card on the inside front cover. We encourage you to write down how we can pray for you. It's also a way for us to stay connected with you and give you tools to grow. So go ahead and fill that out and the ushers will be by to pick that up with the offering. While I've got your attention, let me tell you about some fun events that are coming up here at LJCC. If you're new to the LJCC community, or if you've been attending for some time now, a great way to meet new people is at our summer movie nights. These are free family nights featuring child-friendly movies. Enjoy games and a movie on our front lawn, free popcorn and lemonade. You can even purchase additional refreshments. Movies take place the last Friday of the month in June, July, and August. And our first film is Trolls, and it's this Friday, June 28th. At 6:30 p.m., bring a blanket or chairs, a neighbor, and participate in the themed activities. The movie shows from 7:30 to 9:30 p.m. and is rated PG. We also have opportunities coming up for youth at the beach. Wednesday beach days start on July 3rd. Junior high and high school students are invited to spend the day with our leaders at La Jolla Shores from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. for midweek fun. Spend time playing in the water, praying with one another, and digging into the scriptures. Please note that on certain Wednesdays, beach days will be abbreviated and run from 9 a.m. until noon. For complete details, contact Ryan Sylvia. He's the Director of Student Ministries, and you can reach him at ryan at ljcc.org or call the church office at 858-558-9020. As always, check out ljcc.org to find out all that's happening at LJCC. Will you, will you join me in prayer? Dear Lord, you are our holy and magnificent God. 
You are our creator, our redeemer, and our ever-present help in a time of need. You are worthy of all honor and glory. Thank you that you're here with us now, closer than the air that surrounds us. You know each of us completely. You know our hidden thoughts, our heartaches, our fears. Thank you for your love, which is more wide and deep than we can imagine. If there are parts of ourselves that are not honoring to you, we bring those to you now. We pray that you would help us to seek you first and that you would help us to leave behind anything that does not honor and glorify you. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would move in this church. We pray that you would teach us, comfort us, guide us, and give us each a hunger and a thirst for you. Lord, in the past couple of years, our church has been sifted and challenged. We pray that you would give us wisdom and guidance as we move forward. We pray that you would draw us closer to you and that you would unite us and strengthen us together and give us a deep and real love for one another. We pray that we would be salt and light in our neighborhood and in the world. Help us to relentlessly seek your kingdom and your will. We lift up those of us who are struggling today with sickness, loss, disappointment, or fear. You are near to the brokenhearted, and you bind up our wounds. Help us not to shut you out in times of difficulty, but welcome you and your people in our places of need. For you are our refuge, our fortress, and it is within you that we find rest for our souls. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus, our closest friend. Amen. Diane, thank you. Uh, this is wedding season. You know, June is a time when lots of people get married. And uh, I hate to tell you all, but you missed a big wedding. Uh, you missed a very big wedding. Uh, you missed it because it was 50 years ago. <laughs> so Stan and Peggy Tillinghast, where are you? Stan and Peggy, would you, there you go, would you stand, 50 years yesterday. <clears throat> Fifty years yesterday, wow. So, uh, you know, with a wedding comes a name change. With a 50th anniversary comes a name change. So from now on, it's not Peggy, it's Saint Peggy. So, uh, <laughs> sorry, Stan. It's a, we only had one more saint left, and so it's Saint Peggy. Uh, congratulations to you, too. And the fact you're still sitting together and talking is an awesome thing. It gives us lots of hope for the rest of us. Uh, way to go. Well, we are continuing uh, a series talking about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is probably, uh, if not the least uh, understood, probably the most misunderstood part of uh, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we all know that the Holy Spirit is essential for faith, and yet, how? And so we've been talking since uh, Pentecost about the Holy Spirit. Uh, Pentecost uh, was the time uh, that the Holy Spirit was poured out on these people who then became the, the beginning of what we know as the church. But the Holy Spirit has been part of what God is doing all along, and so uh, we've been looking at that. <clears throat> what does it mean to, to understand and walk with the Holy Spirit? We want people to love God and walk with Christ in the Holy Spirit. And so today, last week we talked about, I should say, uh, making decisions. Today we're going to be talking about what is the generosity that the Holy Spirit makes possible? Uh, when I was in college, uh, it seems like just yesterday, um, uh, the local InterVarsity uh, campus director said, hey, I know you're not involved with InterVarsity, you're involved with Young Life, leading the Young Life Club as a volunteer, but um, 
we have this conference coming up at, uh, after Christmas. It's called Urbana. And I said, what is Urbana? And they said, well, it's a place in Chicago. How many of you ever heard of Urbana, Illinois? <coughs> Champaign-Urbana, big, giant university. How many of you have heard of InterVarsity? <coughs> so, okay, good. And so the, the, the person said, we, we have this conference for college students, for university students. And uh, we have 20,000 students showing up the week after Christmas. And I'm wondering if you would like to be a small group leader for this conference. I said, yeah, what do I have to do? Uh, the name says it all. You lead a small group. <laughs> but to get there is the thing. And once you get there, we'll pay for all your expenses, but you have to get there. So said, okay, great. So I'm thinking, I'm a you know, starving college student. I have, don't have two nickels to rub together. <clears throat> I drive my car just as far as I'm willing to walk at the time. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm living with some friends, and uh, they're a couple, Cindy and Gary Dunn, and uh, they're a, a, a bit older than me, but had this really great little bungalow, and they had a little spare room, and I was living with them temporarily. And Gary was an incredible musician. <clears throat> he had this wild, long, blonde hair, and this big beard, and these blue eyes, and when he played, it was just joyous. And every major musician that would come through the Bay Area would, would call up Gary and say, hey, I want you to sit in with us. And so... He made his money gigging, doing music. And so um, I was telling him about this invitation to go to InterVarsity's Urbana. I said, but the thing is, I got to raise, I got to come up with the money to fly there. And he goes, oh, wow. You know, so um, a few days later, uh, Gary and Cindy said, hey, can we talk to you for a second? I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> so what they would do, uh, after every gig, Gary would take 10% of whatever he made and put it in this massive jar. And they would fill up the jar, and along the way, they'd be praying, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, show us what to do with this money. I had no idea they were doing this. And so <laughs> he walks out with this big jar full of money. He goes, he goes hey, we've been praying about this thing that you're going to do at, what was it called, Urbana? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, InterVarsity. We've been praying about it, and we think it's super important that you go to this thing. And so here's the money. Now, it's a small gesture. It's a little footnote in my life, and yet... Going to that conference uh, as like a 20-year-old, seeing 20,000 of my peers gathered together, hearing from these incredible people like John Stott and other, other major teachers and writers and, and Christian leaders from around the world. <clears throat> One of them was a guy named Festo Kavengeri, the bishop of Uganda. Uh, at the time, a man named Idi Amin was the dictator of Uganda, and he was killing everybody, and he wanted to kill Festo because Festo kept stepping up and saying, you know, he challenging him in the name of Jesus. And people were being killed, and people said, Festo, you've got to leave because he's going to kill you, and we need you to keep teaching and holding the people up. And so <coughs> Festo uh, left the country, and I heard him speak. It was amazing uh, hearing him speak. Uh, it was life-changing to realize what God was doing worldwide. And so when I went to Fuller Seminary, it took all my all my uh, electives in the School of World Mission. And it just lit me up. And so, yeah, I went to be a small group leader, but really what, what happened was God just downloaded so much great stuff into me. All because of this wild hippie couple's generosity. A jar full of money that they'd been tithing. It was a beautiful combination of the power of the Holy Spirit and generosity. So we're talking about that today. Uh, uh, one of the big choices we make in life is about generosity. So you ready? And by the way, if you're visiting, uh, especially if you're not a believer in Jesus and you're visiting with us today, I apologize right up front. 
because I'm just confirming what you believe that churches do, just ask for money all the time. <clears throat> I'm not even asking for money. I'm actually demanding for money today. No, I'm not. I'm just talking about why we're generous here and why it's because the Holy Spirit empowers us to be generous. So if you're sitting in with us wondering, what did I get myself into? Uh, you don't need to hold on to your wallet, your credit card, or your phone, whatever. You're safe. We're just trying to talk about what does it mean to experience the fullness of God uh, every day in our lives. So I want to ask you a question. I'm getting a little personal now. Are you a generous person? You don't have to answer that out loud. <clears throat> Are you a generous person? And let me give you some questions to jumpstart your thinking, just in case you're thinking, well, I don't know, compared to what? So first of all, are you comfortable talking about how you give? Are you talking about how you give? Not necessarily how much you give, where you give it, how you give. Uh, do you follow the Bible in the way that you give and serve? Do you make it a point to say, I wonder what the Bible wants to teach me, tell me about how I should handle all of my resources, time, talent, treasure? Do you feel accountable to fellow believers regarding your giving? <clears throat> in fact, do you seek counsel in planning your giving? Do you get together with people in a life group or other setting and say, hey, I'm looking at the next year. I'm just trying to wrestle with how I give and where I give and what I give. You guys got any ideas about this? Would you have a conversation like that? Most people to, I know would rather talk about their sex life than about their giving life. <clears throat> do you know if you're really close, if you're, if you're a mom of small children, do you know how if you're super close to each other, you share your babysitter's name and number. If you are a mom of small kids and, 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 and your friend tells you the babysitter's name and number, you know they really count you as a true friend, right? And still, people would never usually say, hey, I'm thinking about what to give. I need some input. But are you, are you willing to seek counsel in planning your giving from, from people you trust? In fact, would you be comfortable having people encouraging you or challenging you about your generosity? Or would that just be way too close and too scary? Uh, let me ask you this question. Do you feel honored or offended when asked to make a commitment to a church or to a ministry, to an organization? Do you go, hey, why? Well, I, how dare you ask me? Or do you think, oh, my gosh, I'm so honored you asked me. Thank you. And then if you do commit, are you slow in giving what you commit? <clears throat> I have a, a friend who, if he was here, it would be a rarity for him to be in church. But if he was here, no, I'm kidding about that. If he was here, he would say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, uh, <clears throat> and God has blessed me with immense wealth that I never thought I'd have. And every year, I've made more money, and I always thought, that's it. Once I have that, I'm done. I mean, that's all I need. And then every year, you know. And what I found is, I really want to be generous, but here's my problem. He'd be telling you this. He'd be very open about this. He'd say, my problem is this. I, I want to give, and I, and I will make commitments to give, but I hold on to the check. And so he would say, I'd like to think I am so developed in my walk with Christ that I just, uh, you know, I'm a cheerful giver. He said, I've learned to be a cheerful committer. I'm not yet a cheerful giver. So what I do is when I make a commitment to give, I immediately entrust one of the people who works with me in our, in our office to be in charge of distributing what I said I would give. Because if you give me 10 more minutes to think about it, I'll change my mind. And once I start giving, and this guy's a very generous giver, but he doesn't really know. Because he puts it out of his mind so that, isn't this an interesting thing? Are you, do you relate to that at all? Are you slow in giving what you commit? And then finally, when it comes to generosity, uh, do you feel shame, resentment, pride, or joy? Shame. Oh, I know I don't give enough. Resentment. They keep asking me to give. Uh, pride. Well, I'm such a giver. 
That's what we guys do. We guys are givers. If guys have one fault, it's that we are givers. We just give too much. <clears throat> and so, or would you say, I am so joyful, I'm so grateful that I get to give. Are you a generous person? Next series of questions. It just gets worse. <clears throat> it just gets worse. How, how do you practice your generosity? How do you practice generosity? And these are not judgment questions. These are just prompting your thinking questions. Uh, in fact, would you give money to the church or other Christian ministries if you didn't get a tax deduction? It, it's very possible that in the not-too-distant future, our government is going to withdraw a tax deduction for churches. It's not to be paranoid. It's just to say this comes up every year in Congress. And depending on what administration is in place, it's like, why are, we giving, why are we supporting religion? So if you found out that there was no tax deductions, would you still give money? Uh, another question. Do you set aside and then give at least 10% of your income? Right up front, you go, wow, we're going to make X. I think we'll make this. Let's just plan on setting that aside and, and, and give it. Uh, do you plan your day, your week, your month, your quarter, your year to include giving and serving? Do you look, sit down and say, okay, new year, new quarter, whatever the, the planning you know, routine in your house is. <clears throat> Before I do anything else, where am I going to give and serve this year? Do you incorporate that into your, your looking forward calendar so that when you get there, it's not you're starting to think about it. You've already made that commitment. Now you're acting. Uh, do you set a limit to how much income and wealth is enough and then give the rest away? This is a radical thing. Now, you might think only Warren Buffett and Bill Gates and, 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 and uh, uh, <clears throat> Mrs. Gates do that. But uh, I've known a lot of people over the years who said, you know what? We've been thinking about it, praying about it. We have decided that X amount is, is going to be what we're going to live on. And they've had the, the discipline, I think, it's amazing, to say, and anything beyond that, we're going to give away. So they would probably end up living on 10% and giving away 90% of their income. Amazing. Now, you might say, well, if I was wealthy, I would do that too. But what they've done is they've downsized their life to live a very simple life, even though they have incredible wealth that they keep distributing. So it's not just for wealthy people to do this, but this is a wild thought, isn't it? Would you set a limit to how much income is enough and then give the rest away? Another question, who taught you about biblical generosity? Or has anybody ever taught you about biblical generosity? Is your concept of biblical generosity, I'm doing God a big favor by throwing him a little tip? Or <clears throat> did somebody teach you how to integrate this into all of your thinking and the structure of your life? Are you teaching your children and grandchildren about giving? Wouldn't it be awesome if, if the kids and grandkids represented in this room, born or yet to be born, when asked, hey, how did you learn how to be so generous? They said, my mom and dad. They just, did, just didn't tell me to be generous. They, they walked me through a structure of my life to be generous. Or my grandparents, they, they pulled me aside and they said, hey, here's how you manage your money. Here's how you should function out of generosity. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? If somebody said, my mom, my dad, my grandparents, my aunt, my uncle, my mentor, my coach, my favorite teacher, my youth pastor, whatever, would you not want to know more about that person? Wow. Two things your kids should learn from you, sexuality and how to handle finances. You don't want anybody to be able to say, I had to teach that kid about human sexuality. I wish I had time. I'd, I'd love to talk to you about how a very practical way to do that. But it's super important. And then finally, if everyone followed your generosity plan, would the church thrive, decline, or remain unaffected? If you said, hey, I'd like to present my generosity plan, and everybody said, man, 
different numbers maybe, but I like your plan. I'm going to embrace your plan. Would, and, and all of us collectively said we're going to go with that plan. Would we be taking a big step back? No, no impact or a big step forward? Big questions, right, that we never ask because it's too personal, too private, too uncomfortable, too intrusive. <clears throat> but living generously reflects how we see God and how seriously we take him. Not because we're buying God's good favor. Giving does not buy one iota of favor or love or esteem from God. God's love is unconditional. God loves you completely, thoroughly. There's no way to increase or improve on God's love. It's total. Total. But how we live out generosity reflects how we see God and how seriously we take and so choosing to live generously is a spiritual decision, not a financial decision. Let that sink in. We're talking about a spiritual decision, not a financial decision. I'm telling you something. Financial decisions, for all the complexity, sometimes are easy decisions. Spiritual decisions are hard. Why? Because when God says, I want something, and you say, how much? No, no, I want you. Hosea 6.6, 6, I don't want your sacrifices or your offerings, I want your heart, is what God says. So yeah, generosity includes money, but having money doesn't result in generosity. I can tell you from having spent most of my adult life, all of my adult life, in, in two pretty, uh, pretty affluent places, Newport Beach, California, and La Jolla, California, Money does not guarantee generosity. One of the wealthiest places in the, in, the, in the world is La Jolla, California. It's one of the hardest places to raise money. Every church, every organization comes to La Jolla, California, and to San Diego generally, and says, oh my gosh, we're going to raise so much money here. And they don't raise any money here. <clears throat> Unless you're Los Patronos, and you go to a really nice dinner and a party, and then you're having so much to eat and drink, you go, oh, money, oh, you got all my money. I don't know, you take it. But, but literally, all these Christian organizations come into the community, they try to raise money, and churches try to start, and it's so hard to do it. Why? Not mean people. It's just that people feel like, hey, you know, um, I, I'm not sure I want to be that generous. So generosity includes money, but having money doesn't result in generosity. Why? Because generosity is an attitude. It's a way of seeing life. It's a way of embracing life. If you're, if you're, if you're generous to get favor from people or God, that's not generosity. That's called a transaction. That's buying favor, currying favor, endearing yourself. I'm talking about an attitude of generosity that is transformational. And so generosity expresses our gratitude in God, our faith in God, our trust in God, our willingness to obey God. Concerning our wealth, no. More profoundly, more emphatically, more personally, concerning our self. It's not about our wealth. It's about our self. You don't need money to live generously and bless people in Jesus' name. If you're sitting here and you go, I, I am embarrassed to be here because I have to say I have no money to give, <laughs> you're in the right place. It's not about how much money you have to give. It's about a decision to be generous um, with you. Start with what you have. Start with what you have. I'll come back to this later. But it comes down to this. Are your fears too big? Are your fears too big? 
<clears throat> uh, I, I heard a story years ago about a guy who had so much money and uh, was so sick and tired of hearing the minister get up and talk about giving and generosity. He finally said, I gotta go talk to this guy. He, he showed up and you can see it was a man who was a minister and went into to the minister's office and said, look, you know, I'm really sick and tired of hearing you talk about all this giving stuff because I have way too much money to do what you're telling me to do. 10% of my income, are you kidding me? As a starting point? And then beyond that, more. I have too much money. And so the pastor said, hey, you convinced me. I get it. I have a problem. Do you mind if I pray for you? And the guy said, yeah, go ahead. Dear Lord, this dear brother has too much money. <laughs> Lord, I pray by your grace and mercy to this brother who you love so much, you'd remove his money. <laughs> Reduce his money. Bring his money to a place where he would be comfortable giving it. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I would hate to think that God would, would send somebody to have a prayer with us like that. Dude, I get it, man. It's too much, too big. Let's just pray that God would reduce the base from which you have to make these important decisions. <clears throat> so it comes down to this. Are your fears too big, and really, is your God too small? Who gets, who gets to prevail there? The, the bigness of your fear or the smallness of your God? A great God means great generosity, uh, great generosity. A small God means small generosity. Again, you're not impressing God. You're simply presenting yourself to God. The Apostle Paul prayed that we'd understand that our God has everything we need to flourish, to thrive, uh, and to accomplish his purposes for us. This is the promise of God. The God who owns everything, who has everything. Does God lack for anything? No. Does God really own and possess everything? Yes. So it's not that our God needs anything, but our God wants to bless us, to flourish, to thrive, to accomplish his purposes for us. So we see this in Ephesians chapter 3. We touched on this last week as it relates to making decisions. Paul, the apostle, former rabbi, now a follower of Jesus, writing to these people in Ephesus, arguably the wealthiest city uh, in the Roman Empire at that time. Roman, Rome was the center Rome was not necessarily the, the wealthiest part of the Roman Empire. Egypt was the wealthiest part in terms of food. And Ephesus was the most uh, wealthy part of the Roman Empire in terms of trade. So he's, he's writing to them. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, God would strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. I love that phraseology, right? Out of his glorious riches. He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The God who lacks nothing, the God who has everything, wants to fill you uh, to the full measure of him in your life. So let's look at the context of Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus and for our church, because he gets to this prayer after making a really radical uh, claim statement. We see this uh, earlier, starting in verse 7 of Ephesians 3. He says, I became a servant of this gospel, this good news, by the gift, the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me. So he feels really like, I've been so blessed. I didn't deserve it. I was persecuting these people called followers of Jesus. And, and then God gave me this incredible gift of salvation, of confirmation of his love for me, and also this, this incredible calling this ministry to go make sure that everybody, Jew or non-Jew, would get this same gift. To preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. 
and to make plain to everyone how this works, the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Nobody saw Jesus coming. So his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are, for, are your glory. Now, it's a weird phrase. I know you're bummed out because I've been so radically persecuted in this place for, for declaring Christ, for proclaiming and teaching and demonstrating Christ. Ephesus was so wealthy. Part of the wealth expressed itself in a massive silver industry. And specifically, idols were made out of that silver. And it was a huge part of the economy. Uh, you know that, that the wine industry in California is a big economy. You know what the bigger economy is? Cannabis is the largest product in the state of California. Now, you might say goods and services from Google and Facebook and said, okay, that's, that's massive. But in terms of something grown in the state, it's not grapes. And if you disrupt an industry that is that essential to an economy, you get an amazing amount of pushback. And so because people were starting to know Jesus, they said, who needs to idle? And the silversmiths were ticked off, and so they created riots. And Paul is getting literally trashed, beat, beaten up, imprisoned, abused. And he goes, hey, 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 it's my gift to you. It's your glory. What is he talking about? This is costly to Paul, but worth it to him because it's their glory? What does their glory mean? What are the implications for them and now for us? What is the glory of God? What comes to mind when you hear that phrase? Do you even have a category for it? It's a little tricky, isn't it? It's a little slippery. The glory of God, I don't know. How would you explain it to someone? It's all about the glory of God. Oh, okay. Uh, does this tell us something important about God that we ought to understand? And if we understand this, could this be the key to us understanding the generosity of God and the generosity that God calls us to? And of course, the answer would be yes. So Jesus gives us insight about the glory of God in John 17. This is a setting where Jesus is at the last meal with his disciples. We call it the Last Supper. <clears throat> da Vinci, I would call it art. Um, it's a big moment where he's saying, hey, here's what's happening. Here's what's happened over three years. Here's what's happening now. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And then he prays for his disciples. And in praying for them, he's actually praying for us as well. He says this. To the, he's talking to God the Father. I've given them the glory that you gave me. Whoa, whoa. Jesus is implying that God had given him glory. And this glory he's giving to us. So glory is portable. He can somehow bequeath it to somebody. Okay. That you may be one as we are one. That they may be one as we are one. He's talking about oneness, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three in one. I and me, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. What is this glory of God that everything seems to depend on? I mean, to trivialize it, you might say, what's, what's the glory of, of, a, of a woman? Oh, nice dress. No, it's, it's trivial. Like, come on, it's an insult. 
you say, what a character. What a person you are. You walk into a room and it lights up because you bring so much love and care. To a man, would you go, oh my gosh, you know, you are such awesome shape. Yes, round is a shape. But um, <laughs> apart from that, anything else you want to say to me? It would be, no, no, when you walk in the room, it, we all feel so much better because you bring so much attention to our, our needs. You bring so much goodwill. You get the idea? You wouldn't want to trivialize it. So what is the glory of God? It's this. God's glory is his unifying presence, his unifying authority. See, his presence brings things together. His power brings things together. Things come together under his authority. It's his magnificence. It's his righteousness. It's this awe-inspiring encounter with the living God that makes you say, I don't have a category to describe it other than it's the glory of God. It's the effect that God has being who he is. And so God's glory is revealed in his perfect love, goodness, justice, creativity, generosity, compassion, mercy. Those are the attributes. And we can go on and on, more attributes. This and that and this and that. It's amazing who this God is. You turn through the pages of the Bible, page after page, you discover more of these attributes, these things that God is and these things that God does. And that's described in the Old Testament as the chabod, the glory of God, and the New Testament as the doxa of God, the glory of God, is all those things together constitute his glory. And that's the glory that, that God the Father gives to Jesus the Son. And Jesus says, that's the glory I'm giving to these disciples you've given me. So God's glory is a basis for God's church. His glory creates a community that's blessed to be a blessing. Uh, Paul wrote in another letter to the Colossians, some people who lived in what we now is, know as Turkey, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Because Christ at work in you, it makes the glory of God come alive. Uh, I have a, uh, <clears throat> a little plaque, a framed plaque in my office, and it says, the, the glory of God is man fully alive. You might recognize that from a man named St. Irenaeus. Uh, he was a bishop in Smyrna, another place uh, in uh, the Roman Empire, uh, he wrote a famous book in 185 A.D. called Against Heresies. He was mentored by a guy named Poly Polycarp, who was mentored by a guy named the Apostle John. So Irenaeus was a, an amazing man. And so he took this whole notion of the glory of God. And he said, you know, the glory of God is man fully alive. To what? To his own purposes? No, to the purposes of God. So our glory is living under God's authority. Our purpose is to glorify and enjoy God forever. If you ever took catechism as a kid, Catechism is just a word that means verbal teaching. Katekeo. This question, what is the chief end of man? The Westminster Shorter Catechism. The chief end of man is to enjoy God, uh, to glorify, glorify God and enjoy him forever. Uh, to love God and enjoy him forever. So glorifying God is loving God and everything God loves. Glorifying God is foundational to our enjoyment of life. If you don't glorify God, if you're not experiencing the glory of God, you can't enjoy the life you were made for. If, you, if most people say, I'm not enjoying my life, you could say, hey, there's a lot of detail maybe to address here, but I tell you what, you're not experiencing the glory of God properly. You're not expressing the glory of God properly. That's why you're not having a life that you can enjoy. The Bible is our guide. Jesus is our example. The Holy Spirit is given to empower us to do the things Jesus did. And so how's that going for you? How's that going for you? As we grow in our faith, we grow in our awe of him. 
Uh, we want to honor and serve him. We value this highly. This is the economic, in the best sense, economic impact of the gospel. Uh, economic is a Greek word, oikonomia, uh, household. Economics is about how you manage your household. We manage our household as the people of God around the glory of God. So if you understand this and embrace this, it'll change your view of generosity. You'll become a champion of generosity. Uh, you'll discover that generosity is about showing up, not showing off. Look how awesome I am. Showing up saying, look how awesome God is. In his generosity, he's helping me recover from this horrible setback in my life. In his generosity, he's forgiving me the sins that have dogged me over the course of my life. Out of his generosity, he's giving me people who help me deal with the, the, the stuff I'm wrestling with. Out of his generosity, he gives me a new sense of who I am in him. Out of his generosity, it goes on and on and on and on and on. Some of you would say, I've never had closer friends than the friends I've met in Christ. Some of you would say, I've never had better experiences in my life but for my encounter with Christ that I spent so long fighting against because I didn't believe it was possible. This is the generosity of God that makes us want to become a champion of generosity for him. And so generosity is a cost we're willing to bear to bless people. Like Paul would say, are you kidding me? No, no, my sufferings, it's, it's to your glory. It's for your glory. Not yours alone, but so you could reflect God's glory. These are small prices for me to pay. Every mother and every father of a child would say, I would do anything to help this child thrive, even discipline them. Our grandson apparently had his first full-on tantrum this week. He's been preparing 16 months for this, apparently. <laughs> and the right moment came to have a massive, sustained tantrum <clears throat> and our daughter Lauren said there I was in the midst of this massive tantrum with the world's cutest kid <laughs> wanting to do anything in my power to make him stop he wanted to hold a cookie a little granola thing but every time he held it it was all over the place and it was already all over the place so I'd taken it from him and I was giving him bits of it and he started screaming had he just put his hand out, I probably would have given it to him, but now that he's screaming, I can't give it to him, right? I'll reinforce the tantrum. So she said, I just kept giving him bits of it and hugging him. <laughs> oh my gosh, the cost she's willing to bear to love this little kid. <laughs> and she, but she was laughing when she was telling me about it yesterday. She goes, but it's all worth it, isn't it? He, over, he, came, he overcame the tantrum. And we let him come back to live in the house. A cup of cold water counts as a blessing, right? So it's not about the magnitude of this generosity. Paying tuition for somebody to go to college would be the equivalent of a, of a cup of cold water. Think about it. How many of you heard of CASA? Court-appointed special advocate, right? And one of my sisters said, you know, I, I want to help some of these young girls uh, have, a, have a better life. And so she signed up to be a CASA person in, in Orange County. And so... The young woman assigned to her came out of this, you know, typical cost of kid tragic circumstances, in this case, uh, drug abuse and mental illness, and the child's been in cost of care now, and she's going to term out. She's going to turn 18 pretty soon. She's a senior in high school, and they give you less when you get out of CASA than what they give a prisoner getting out of prison. They say, see ya. And so she said, okay, here's this young woman. And she said to the young woman, well, we, they got to know each other, and as they were getting to know each other, she said, what are you going to do when you get termed out? She goes, I'm going to marry my boyfriend. 
you're going to turn 18 and you're going to marry? And she didn't say, that flake. She said, your boyfriend. Yes, I am. Wow. Have you ever thought about going to college? No. Well, it's not even a possibility. I don't know how to apply. I couldn't afford it. My sister said, but you're really smart. I'm going to marry my boyfriend. My sister said, would you invite me to the wedding? She said, yes, I will. She said, she kind of fibbed a little here. She said, you know, at every wedding, there comes a time in the wedding ceremony when the person doing the wedding says, does anybody here object? (laughs) And she said, no. She goes, yeah, yeah. And at that exact point, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to object to your wedding. You wouldn't. Oh, I will. Well, what am I supposed to do? Let me help you figure out how to apply for college. You probably qualify for so many ways to get money to go to college, and whatever you need to go to college, I will pay. I will pay for you to go to college. So you can imagine when she, my sister, looked at that young woman walking across the stage to receive her diploma at UCSD, she said it was worth every penny. She would say, gosh, it was just the equivalent of a cup of cold water. It didn't change my life at all to pay for her to go UCSD. But if that young woman was standing here, she would say, it changed my life indelibly. Not just that process, but meeting this woman who believed in me, who gave me this generosity, not just of her time, talent, treasure, but her spirit. And so God's word tells us to bless one another, to bless his church, to bless people in need, to bless the community, to bless the work of Christ in the world. That's our birthright as we bear the glory of God. You glorify God's authority in doing this. This is what you were made for, created for, to be an image bearer and a glory bearer of God. Jesus himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive. So inspired by Jesus, Paul wrote to Timothy, who was the pastor in Ephesus, and he said, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, enjoyment, oh, gosh, I like that. No, enjoyment, remember, enjoyment is to to enjoy him by bearing the glory of God, the deepest kind of joy to experience. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That's powerful, isn't it? You notice he didn't say anything to impugn or to critique or to disparage their wealth. Because it wasn't a message about wealth. It was a message about them and the God that loves them. So generosity is a way to grasp hold of life lived truly. That's why we can be generous with whatever we have. Don't rationalize withholding generosity because in that you're quenching the spirit, you're grieving the spirit, you're dishonoring God. Just being responsible isn't generosity. Paying your bills and paying your taxes is not generosity. It's a, it's a requirement. It's, it's what, you, what mature people do, responsible people do. Generosity is, is a magnitude more profound. It's a way of orienting ourselves to God, being 
orienting ourselves to God and in his name, orienting ourselves to the world. Don't prioritize your lifestyle at the expense of living generously. In communities like Newport Beach, La Jolla, any kind of coastal community in, in, in California, it takes so much money just to stay in place, just to pay the rent. That we spend so much time investing in a lifestyle that we're too tired and, and too tight and tied up financially to be able to practice generosity. Why? We've prioritized a lifestyle. You'd say to any young couple, hey, definitely buy a house, get on that equity escalator, do all those things, but don't do it at the expense of your walk with God. That is, that is heresy to our way of thinking economically. No, no, prioritize for your financial well-being. How about prioritize for your spiritual well-being and trust that the finances will work themselves out? Yes, make good, wise financial decisions. Yes, avoid credit card debt. Yes, have financial advisors guiding you. But, but, but please make your first and primary decision a spiritual decision to honor and glorify God. Don't prioritize your lifestyle at the expense of living generously. Reprioritize your lifestyle in order to live generously. Don't settle for a life of affluence when you can have a life of influence. I pray that everybody can experience affluence. More so, I would say, prioritize influence. Not control, but influence. Generosity is what you give freely and voluntarily in obedience to God as his disciple. Yes, it includes money, time, energy, influence, effort. Where do generous people come from? They are people with a heart for God, a, a mind for Christ, who learn to walk in the Holy Spirit. And so we learn to give by emulating how others give, starting with the Lord himself. That's also how we learn to live in love. It's like, what, who do you want to be like? What do you want to become? Those are the important questions. So I leave you with this. Who are you emulating and who is emulating you? Who are you emulating to that end? Who do you want to be like? What, you, what do you want your life to look like? And who is emulating you? I guarantee you if you have children or close friends, in some ways they're watching you and emulating you. Well, if they did it, I'll do it. If it worked for them, it'll work for me. Let's emulate Jesus. Let's emulate Paul. Let's emulate everyone who's ever taught us to live generously. When I was a, uh, again, a, when I was a, a new Christian, I, I was a, a freshman in college, and I went to this Bible study, and this amazing woman um, hosted this Bible study, this grand house, and she had all these crazy long-haired college kids come into this house and, and this, had this Bible study. And the, the guy who was mentoring me uh, had told me some amazing stories about uh, another phenomenal a Christian man up in the Bay Area, and and I thought, what an what an incredible man! I wonder how a guy like that becomes that. And wouldn't you know, one of the nights in this Bible study, that guy happened to be at the house. This wealthy, accomplished, successful business guy, and you'd never pick him out in a crowd. He was just a very low-profile dude. But of course, with the filter of a typical 19-year-old, that is whatever I thought I would say. I saw him, I said, oh my gosh, I've heard so much about you. How is it that you can give so much money? He kind of looked shocked. He said, well, uh, I started when I was like you. I said, no filter? No. He said, I didn't have anything. And I started giving a dime out of a dollar. And then I got my first job. I started giving a dollar out of 
10, then 10 out of 100, 100 out of 1,000. Pretty soon, 10,000 out of 100,000 was no big deal. 100,000 out of a million, I didn't really notice it. And I started realizing that's not enough. And so that's how I've lived my life. I said, is that simple? He goes, yeah, it's that simple. Whoa. I wish I could tell you more stories about how people impacted me about what it means to be a faithful steward of what God entrusts to us. I'd love to hear your stories. So if you have a story, I'd love you to email me, text me, and send me your story, because I'd love to hear, how did you get in this groove? Because look at you. You are generous people. You are people who embody what I'm talking about today. I'm preaching to the choir today. But I'm telling you this because I want you to know that the reason we do this is the power of the Holy Spirit, the glory of God, not just our inherent goodness. This is not a message about how awesome we are. It's about how awesome he is. And isn't it wonderful that we get to be part of what he's doing in the world? So here's where this goes. God brings us together and forms us into a community bearing his glory. It's not a community of guilt. It's a community of grace and God's goodness. What's better than a generous person? One thing, a generous people, a community of generosity. Wouldn't it be horrible if every church said, yes, we've designated one person who, who has to be generous? Wouldn't it be great if, if, if somebody walked into the church, they said, look, I, I'm new in my faith, I, and I've been making a lot of dough working at one of these biotech firms. I need to figure out how to practice generosity. Who should I talk to? Wouldn't it be great if they walked into anybody here and they go, you can talk to anybody. I'll talk to you if you want. I mean, what? Well, no, I want to talk to somebody who really knows how to be generous. Yeah, oh, yeah. Pick one. You're kidding me. Everybody here? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's how we roll here. Seriously? I'm in the right place. Well, no, the one you really should talk to is not here now, but be ridiculous. You see, what Paul says is this to the Ephesians, and in him you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We are better together in Christ, bearing his glory than on our own, promoting our glory. We become more generous, and our generosity has greater influence and impact when we understand we're better together in Christ. In a moment, we're going to continue worshiping the Lord with some some music, singing, and uh, accepting the offering. I just want you to remember one thing about the offering. It's not about money. It's about you. So, Lord Jesus, as we bring our tithes, our offerings, may we bring ourselves. We know that you want our hearts. You want our minds, you want our bodies to bear your glory, to be filled with your glory, to reflect your glory, that others would uh, be blessed as we are being blessed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Trusting him is the firmest foundation upon which you can stand. Walk in the presence of God, enveloped in his glory, internalizing his glory, reflecting his glory. Uh, this is what will set you free, not only to come into his presence with confidence, but to come into the presence of anybody else with his confidence in you. If you don't know the Lord, open your heart and your mind to him today. Just simply say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I want to know you as my Savior and my Lord. If you've been far from him, and though you believe in him, you feel like, well, I'm unworthy. I, 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 I'm, I'm feeling so out of it. Today is a homecoming for you. Simply say, Lord, I'm back. I'm home. I'm the prodigal. Let him enfold you with his strong arms of love. You belong to him. If we can pray for you in any way, for anything, let us know. Go right on the corner. There's a prayer garden, a lovely place, and people will be there to say, can I pray for you? Tell them what you want them to pray for you about or somebody else that you're concerned for, or just say, ah, just pray. And I'll do that. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us all, giving us peace both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>